Welcome to Soul Sessions with Creative Mind with Deborah Burnt Maldonado and Dr. Rob Maldonado of Creative Mind. Join us each week for an inspiring conversation about personal development based on Jungian philosophy, Eastern spirituality, and social neuroscience. Spend each week with us to explore deep topics in a practical way. Let's begin. Hello, welcome to another episode of Soul Sessions. I am Deborah Burnt Maldonado. I'm here with Dr. Rob Maldonado. Nice to be here. And I have a great episode for you today. I can't wait to get into it with you, Rob, about individuation, the three challenges of individuation. Now, before we begin, I do want to remind you, if you're listening to us on Spotify, iTunes, or any other podcast services, don't forget to subscribe so you can't miss an episode. It's going to be a great mm-hmm. series on individuation and the importance of it. Yeah, we're kind of continuing the whole conversation we've been having about Jung's contribution to psychology, to the world, to our work. And uh, we wanted to mention a couple of guests that we recently had on the program that mm-hmm. really made uh, make our program special for us. Dr. James Hollis, mm-hmm. thank you so much for being on the show. People are still talking about that conversation we had with him. And then uh, Linda Davies, the great author of so many books, so many wonderful books. Uh, and uh, of course, she's a dedicated uh, student of the creative mind process. I loved that interview, with both of those <coughs> interviews. So if you haven't listened to them, look in previous episodes and catch up because they're really wonderful. You don't want to miss it. So the three challenges of individuation, mm. if you're familiar with Young. You've heard the term individuation, but some people, they may have just found us. So let's pretend they know nothing about individuation. Let's define it first before we get into it. Yeah, and this is kind of the the cliff notes of Mm -hmm. individuation. The main idea is that we're not this persona that we identify with. Uh, Jung believed that it's an important function that we carry out in society that we create and develop this persona, but that we are meant to individuate, Mm -hmm. meaning to become much more than our persona. And when we think of persona, think of it as your conscious personality. Most people stop there. They think I'm going Mm -hmm. to improve what I'm aware of about myself. I'm going to become more self-aware, but they think it's the, the conscious part that they're aware of. And Jung, in his wisdom, said, well, there's a whole other part of us that's unconscious. And that's really what we're doing with individuation is being able to look at beyond just that persona, that conscious personality and shining up the ego, polishing up the persona and really discovering who we are inside on a deep level. Yeah, and that process, Jung taught, uh, begins with looking inward into the personal unconscious. So the personal unconscious, uh, many people have heard about the shadow. That's where it resides. It, it simply means that there's a, a component of the psyche that holds on to our past memories, our mm. conditioning, our emotional experiences, And that until we're able to integrate that content that's in the personal unconscious, we're kind of split against ourselves. Mm. We're, you know, we're creating with one hand and destroying with the other Mm. because we're not fully integrated. Yeah. So Jung's idea was that there's a, a psychological process that must take place 
in life beyond early adulthood that integrates these two halves of our psyche, our conscious mind and our personal unconscious, and that that process leads us to self-realization, meaning to this understanding of the self in us as a much bigger aspect of life than than merely the persona, the mm-hmm. role that we play in society. And what most is the conscious personality by default is our conditioned self, the way we were shaped mm-hmm. by the world, our family, our events in life. Uh, we create this conscious personality and we believe it's who we are, but that is what the concept of the ego is. It's like a, a sense of I, a sense of individual uh, me and this body, but Everything you assume about yourself and the world is based on something that you learned early in life and didn't question. And then the things that don't fit that conscious personality go into what you call the shadow, which is the parts of ourselves that we don't identify with. And that's what we're doing is like bringing back all parts of ourselves, becoming more whole, not in a, a healing way where it's like something's broken, but more whole, like seeing all the big picture instead of just seeing a sliver of something just like imagine you read a book and you just read the first page and the first page is this terrible tragedy that was unfolding but you didn't read the rest of the book and the rest of the book of the heroes going off and having these challenges and overcoming obstacles and and transforming and and being their true self and so we miss out on that adventure of life if we just read the first chapter or the first sentence of our book so there are three challenges, though, to individuation. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of challenges, but uh, let's say these are the three primary challenges that really pit the individual against the collective. Mm-hmm. So beyond the individual psyche, or, or let's say the, the individual concepts of persona and uh, shadow, which is still a personal concept, right? It's still about your personality, the things that didn't fit into that personality. But beyond that, Jung had this concept of the collective unconscious. And the collective unconscious is not only unconscious, meaning it's not it's not that it's asleep, it's not that it's not doing anything. He chose that term because it's uh, he meant that we are unconscious of it. <laughs> it's not unconscious, <laughs> it's we are unconscious of it. Yeah, yeah, it's very much active and it's playing out in the world, of mm. course. The collective is also society, If we want to see the collective, our collective unconscious, we could look at the world and see the, the plays playing out, all the archetypes, all the, the patterns in the world are, are connected to us in some way. Yeah, in a way, it's very much what we call culture mm-hmm. and, and society and the world and the Internet and mm-hmm. all the symbols that we see filter it through this medium of the Internet. Uh, that is the, the collective unconscious playing out in society and the world. So there is this tension, and Jung was always talking about the, the tension, right, the dynamics what causes something to be so electrified, so full of energy, mm. is that there's there are these two opposing elements, mm-hmm. the, these uh, opposite poles that are charging each other. Mm-hmm. So the charge if there were is... only one side, there would be no charge. That's right. Mm-hmm. The charge in individuation is often between the individual, what's going on in our personal life, and the collective, mm-hmm. both conscious and unconscious. So the first one is the individual and society. Mm-hmm. 
we're born into a society, we're born into a culture, we're born into a family. And the family, of course, is part of that culture and that mm. society. And parents, I mean, all parents, we see it in across the world in every culture, teach you the language of that society, mm-hmm. of that culture. They teach and you the, the values. And the rituals and the values, yeah. The rituals, the beliefs. Mm-hmm. Often not directly, but we're like little sponges, right? Some of us that have worked with kids, we know, man, we're absorbing tons of data continuously through our senses. Our mind is just designed for that and absorbing that information and and holding on to it. Mm. It stays within us. Well, also, too, if you think about a child, like they look at the parent as a god, you know, these (coughs) godlike figures. And whether we like it or not, we absorb their ideas, their personality Mm. traits, where they express power. Even if we disagreed with it, we kind of align with it in a way. And and we we don't even consciously choose it. It's like an adaptation that we assume we are like them. We they are like us. We are like them. And we have the sort of like an alignment with that, you know, the creating that, you know, kind of bond and, and love with the parent that creates us like becoming a carbon copy in a lot of ways. Uh, Not only genetically, we have the genetics, but the experience and interaction with the environment Mm. and how they saw the world, how they thought about money, how they thought about relationships, what they thought about God, values, friendships, uh, what to talk about, what not to talk about, you know, to be affectionate, to not be affectionate, to be smart or to be playful, like all these things that we think we're like that. That's our personality. But it's actually a lot of our personality is shaped by the personalities around us. Oh, absolutely. Uh, We more and more, the more we learn about genetics, the more we understand these things are passed on mm. genetically or through the genetic code and also through the epigenetic code. Mm-hmm. So the epigenetic code is a layer on top of the genetic code that passes on predispositions towards stress. The The experiences our, our ancestors had in society is coded in the epigenetic code. So it's not part, not part of the genetic code, meaning it's not how your body is going to be built, like the color of your eyes and the color of your hair and all that. It has more to do with those experiences and what the responses were to those experiences. War, famine, times of plenty, all those things are encoded and then passed along. Mm. So we can think of our inheritance from our parents, and our culture, our ancestors, as a, a, a set of predispositions mm. that are going to play out whether we like it or not. Whether we're conscious of them or not. Yeah. And, you know, this is a good test. Like, have you ever tried to go against the will of your family or go against the will of friendships or, or, you know, you're growing up, you know, a lot of us have that experience of you grow up and your friends from high school and college, and then you go and you have your life and then you go back like five years, 10 years later and they, they don't fit in. And it's almost weird. Like you, you, you kind of have outgrown them, Mm -hmm. but if you stayed in that town or stayed with these friends, you're more likely to stay in that that kind of thinking, you know, and that, and that family being around your family, how, how entangled you are with your family and not being able to make a decision unless you think your parents are going to approve. And so we have that tension. We, we have these desires like 
for me, I always wanted to start my own business and no one in my family did. And so I'd always hear like my mother, my father's voice, like, you have a good job. Like, why would you leave? And, <laughs> why would you do and, that? and so you, we have that. And then that's actually what's in us, even unconsciously, that part of us, that tension of, do you really want to go there? Do you, you know, mm. and then that oh, those places where we feel stuck and we don't feel we can express, we have desires that we can't express. That is what we're experiencing. The, the tension between our true self wanting to be expressed and the unconscious patterns that are saying, you know, that's not a good idea. It's scary. And everyone has it like every hero's journey. There's always been this feeling of, of fear with a hero has and trepidation about taking that journey. Like, am yeah. I, am I the, I'm not the hero that I think I am. Can I do it? We all feel that. And that's that pressure that's just stay, just go with the flow, stay with the course and, and, and yeah. then everyone will be happy. And then no one will judge you because you are doing what everyone else tells you. Yeah. So Jung at this point talks about, uh, kind of a moral dilemma, mm -hmm. right, that we encounter in becoming our true selves, in the process of individuating, because essentially we are moving away from all that inheritance. Mm -hmm. And we're saying, thanks, but no thanks. Mm -hmm. I can make up my own mind about who I am and what my, the meaning of my life will be. Now think about that. In other words, we're, we're taking the, the whole process that generation after generation has played out mm -hmm. and saying, I'm okay. I can think for myself. I can think outside of the inheritance pattern and make my own decisions. Mm -hmm. Now, this is real free thinking and this is real free will. This is not rejecting of the society so it's not the same as saying like I'm a gonna, rebel right yeah rebelling or or going off to live in a cave and mm -hmm. saying i'm not going to participate mm -hmm. that's not the same thing first of all it's not rejecting of the cultural norms and and, and the, the social standards it's accepting them but understanding that they are uh, socially constructed let's say mm -hmm. that they're not necessarily inherent in our being as that's the way I should be. You know, it's really interesting Like when you're talking about that. It reminds me of this idea that I learned early on about it, individuation is that we tend to identify with our behavior as like labeling mm. ourselves. So I'm, I did something good. I'm a good person. I'm, I'm, I'm successful. I'm a successful person. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. And we, we tend to like attach to our results in life to like some kind of label. And what we want to do is we want to break away for, oh, I understand why I'm pulled to act this way because I don't want to be this person, like the shadow. I don't want to be <clears throat> the loser. I don't want to be unaccepted or I don't want to be alone. And to realize, oh, that's why I'm acting that way and seeing that that's just an idea in the mind. It's not even real. But we tend to think these things are so real. Like everyone agrees now, since you failed at that thing, that you're a failure and that's how you're identified and you're like kind of tattooed with it. Mm. Instead of thinking that these are just loose concepts that we kind of frame and and, and kind of collapse into like our bodies and our identities and we think they're so solid but they're really not and part of individuation is challenging these ideas these cultural norms and what they really mean like to be nice what does that even mean 
Does it mean to lie to someone and tell them they look good, even though you know they don't, they have toilet paper on their shoe, but you're not going to tell them because you don't want to be mean, Uh, you know, like silly things like that, where sometimes you can say what you really feel. And that's actually a nicer thing than actually lying and pretending everything's okay. And so it's about like opening up that curiosity of these labels and these kind of ideas and questioning them. And that's part of individuation. And then you decide what do I want to be? You know, what do I want to express? How do I want to act outside of that pattern? Are you looking for a satisfying career as a life coach? If you are seeking a deeper path of training and growth, Creative Mind University offers an ICF accredited life coach training program that goes beyond surface positive thinking and into a powerful process of real transformation. You can start your new career as a certified life coach trained in a unique methodology based on Jungian theory, Eastern spirituality, and social neuroscience. Get the tools to become your true self, change your life, and the lives of others. Visit creativemindlife.com, click on apply, and speak with one of our team members today to discuss your future and possibilities of becoming a certified life coach. That's creativemindlife.com. There are parallels in other uh, philosophies, especially mm-hmm. in Taoism. You, mm-hmm. you see this idea that, okay, society gives you a way of behaving and a way of being in the world that conforms to society, right? And it helps you get along with others. No big deal or, or no problem. But the Taoists often mention that what if we depend on our inner nature instead of these external rules? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be a better way of expressing our natural goodness, our natural inclination to help others and to get along with others in Mm -hmm. a genuine way? And that's the key right there, that it's a more genuine way of being in the world, of being good, of Mm -hmm. being productive and doing your work in the world than following external rules. Mm -hmm. And there is some good data also on on research that shows that extrinsically motivated behavior is not going to feel really good for us uh, psychologically Mm -hmm. because the rewards and punishments are out there. Mm-hmm. In other words, someone's holding a gun to us and saying, you should behave good or mm-hmm. well because otherwise you're going to get punished mm-hmm. and you're going to get rewarded if you behave well, right? If mm-hmm. you do your work and all that stuff. Individuation means that you decide what your life is going to be about, what your work is going to be about, how you're going to do things it doesn't mean that you're going to break the laws or break the, the norms <laughs> of society, but it means that you're going to do these things on your own terms. And actually, you're actually more moral when you are conscious because so many people, you see businesses or people that get caught up in their conditioning and they get kind of desperate for money and they end up doing things that are unscrupulous, you know, with their taxes or something like that and unconsciously sabotage you know, or hurt other people through their own ego building, you know, the the uh, charismatic mm. leader who is like hurting people because they're all caught up in their own ego. That is an example of like, yeah, yeah like, oh, I'm getting all the success, but you know what? I'm hurting people and uh, you're not even conscious of it. So I think you're actually closer to your moral compass when you're aligned with your soul than when you're an ego. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Jung mentions that the individuated person will always be suspicious or under suspicion by the people that are not individuated Mm -hmm. because they understand intuitively that this person is not following the rules, right? Mm -hmm. They're not playing by the same rules that everyone is in society is playing. Mm -hmm. They're outside that extrinsic motivation Mm -hmm. Uh, imposed on them Mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of resentment of course but when you're extrinsically motivated you don't have any power and it's not satisfying like you said yeah it feels like you're constantly on the uh, the gerbil wheel chasing the next thing yeah that's another layer of it that it reminds them that they are subjected to the yoke of society Mm -hmm. whereas somebody that's individuated is freeing themselves or on the way to free themselves from it so that's that's in a nutshell right that's the first challenge that there's a tension between the individual and society that's going to play out when you start to individuate Mm -hmm. and you have to resolve that conflict and then the next one is the ego and the masses which is you know kind of the group think but more in a bigger way like we all with the internet Mm. Before we were, we only had like our friends that we would get information from, or maybe our local newspaper or local news, maybe the cable news, like in the eighties started to, you start to see a bigger group thing happening. But uh, now with the internet, you have these like masses and these subgroups of people that all believe something. And then if you fall into that group, if you don't have like a kind of a strong ego, you're going to like align with the masses and not have any individual ability to think for yourself. And then your, your thoughts, you you kind of get absorbed with the masses, right? You kind of lose your sense of identity and your identification comes with the masses. This happens in cults where they don't have, they can't think for themselves. And you know, it's the guru that tells them everything. This is the way things are. And they're just blindly following. This happens in, you know, all different in companies. Uh, I remember when I was in, in New York, First starting my career, uh, working for an entertainment company, and the whole ethos of the masses was, in the group was, work 80 hours a week, and you don't even question Mm. it. You just go with the flow, and you're not saying, hey, you know, is this really something, like, that is healthy for a human being? We just get caught up in it, and that's just the way things are, and we're swept away by the masses and not wanting to question because then we'll, maybe we're asked from the group. But if you have a strong ego, you that's where you get to resist. And so, you know, we talk about evolving from the ego, but you need a strong ego in order to individuate. Well, absolutely. It's like having a strong body. You want a strong body, a he- healthy body, but you don't necessarily want to identify just as your body. Mm-hmm. It's the same with the ego. You, want, you need a strong ego you don't necessarily want to live there and, mm. and I over identify as ego. But the ego has these particular challenges because we need it, first of all, to survive. So two primary functions the ego gives us is one, it gives us the ability to survive without necessarily thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Instinctively, we protect ourselves as children and intuitively we find ways to create this sense of identity the Mm -hmm. sense of self through the ego but the second function is this beyond survival is socially fitting it Mm. that it gives us a mirror as to what are people thinking about me how are they see do they like me me? am i accepted am i loved yeah am i adored yes 
And this is a very powerful aspect of the human mind. It protects us in the social group through that constant mirroring and reflecting on what is the other person saying through their body language, through their emotions, through their intonation, through the way they shook my hand or didn't shake my hand, all that stuff. It's automatically doing all this stuff. And a lot of people get go a little nuts because they start listening to that little voice and they think it's real. They mm. think it's telling me something absolutely true about who I am. Or and assuming like kind of mind reading, seeing what other people are yeah. are thinking. But this is the danger of like you losing yourself to the masses as well is because if you don't have a strong ego and you're constantly needing that support and love from other people and you find a group that you feel that support and love, even if they're not like, they could be a dangerous, like a not healthy group and you're just accepted in that. So you don't want to leave just like a family group or a group that uh, maybe believing in weird stuff and you're just like, but I'm accepted in that group. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to stay here. And so we kind of, the ego wants that approval and, and that's another way we get pulled in to that group think as well. Yeah, it's such a powerful need that uh, this is where family enmeshment comes in, mm -hmm. right? The, where we see people that are not able to break away from the emotional sphere of their family. Mm -hmm. uh, that's enmeshment. Or you see people that join gangs because yeah. they're not getting the social reciprocity in, in other groups. People need this. This mm -hmm. is a human need and therefore they'll, they'll seek it out in any group that will give it to them. And often gangs kind of give people that that opportunity to become part of a group and be accepted. And there are groups that are very uplifting. I mean, there's, you know, uh, churches and communities and even coaching groups that are really positive, but you have to keep your own individual uh, individuality or you're going to identify with the group and then feel have no personal power. And that's the thing is you want to check in and say, do I have personal power? in this group? Am I feeling that I, my voice are be, is being heard or that I can have an, a, a counter opinion? Like I can disagree with things yeah. that are, and that's a safe group that where it's more open and less uh, blindly following the guru. Yeah. And so in individuation, the challenge, the internal challenge is, can I let go of this function? Not to get rid of it. Not, mm. to, you know, we don't want to get rid of the ego but to put it in its right context. But this function that has helped me so much, to, first of all, to survive and then to kind of develop this sense of myself mm -hmm. in relationship to groups, how can I let go of that? All right, the, uh, Jung says there's going to be a period of disorientation mm. where you're not going to feel uh, like you know what's going on because you're so used to relying on this sense of self that the ego gives you for your self-identity mm -hmm. and individuation is going beyond the ego Asking so it's yourself, countering the ego and the ego yeah. knows your passwords and all the security codes so it wants it's it's that battle in, inside yes because the ego will will simply try to reason with you and say why would you destroy or, or abandon mm -hmm this persona and this my, me the ego that has helped you survive and create this sense of self 
why would you abandon that? Mm. Abandon this for the unknown, mm-hmm. which is individuation. Individuation is is like the hero's journey, right? Mm. It's going into the unconscious, exploring the vaster, the vast aspects of the psyche that are uncharted, mm. unexplored to this point, and that process is kind of what is challenging about internal structure of individuation so in, internally and externally there's always a power struggle going yes. on with our internal power versus the world and then also the ego's power against the the power of the self which is our true self and now let's go to the self in the world number three this concept of the self because it's a big s so it's not the self the ego I kind of think of it as like more the true, true self or the true personality that it's expressed through or the divine, this kind of like universal part of ourselves that's not touched by our personal experience in the world, like our our kind of our power, our true power, really. We kind of gave up that as we became human and and the first part of life, we, we projected that power externally to our parents and to the world. And now midlife, we start to reclaim that power. That's our birthright. What Jung is describing, of course, is a spiritual psychology, for lack of, of a better word. Uh, it's spiritual because it's moving beyond the evidence of our senses. And so the ego is built on the evidence of the senses. It's giving us, a, uh, the, like Freud uh, talked about, the reality principle. One of the primary functions of the ego is to test uh, reality. What is real to me? And often you know, for lack of a better way of seeing ourselves in the world, we depend on the evidence of the senses as reality. And we say, what I can touch, what I can experience directly through my senses must be what is real. Mm-hmm. And, and we base our life on that. So there's nothing wrong with it. It leads to survival, right? That's how we survive in the world. We find the, the sweetest fruit and the, the plants that we can eat and the things that we can hunt. The comfort and the, the housing and the person that it can tolerate us to marry and <laughs> all those things. Yeah, through Family our, that, we, that accepts and loves us for who we are. And That's right, through our senses. Mm-hmm. The problem, Jung says, is that that is not the totality of who we are. And it's a simple question, right? It, like if you ask yourself, where do dreams come from? What, what is the purpose and meaning of dreams in human life if the evidence of the senses is all we're meant to live out from? Mm-hmm. There wouldn't be any need for that. Mm-hmm. What is the purpose of poetry, literature, arts, this ability to create symbols that transcend our experience of the world? There would be no need for that if all we were meant to do was to live in a physical appearance of the world. So the evidence of the senses, Jung says, is not where we're meant to stay, and it's not where we are meant to live out our lives. It is a preliminary survival strategy that is only there to provide a platform for which then we launch this bigger project of self-realization right what in eastern philosophy this is called self-realization meaning realizing there's a consciousness that is providing awareness of your life that is the true you the true aim of your life is the realization of this consciousness in your life so the challenge just to 
kind of tie it to the challenge again, is that you believe it, like the challenge is the ego is constantly creating a separation with you in the world. And the challenge is to realize that the world is a reflection of your internal experience. And so that's the challenge is first you have to come to terms with your, you know, your social group, then you have to, you know, not get swept up in the masses. But the really the most important one is this number three, or so you realize that you are the consciousness that's experiencing itself, which is a more advanced concept, but that's really actually where individuation is leading. It's not just, okay, I overcome my patterns from my life and I have a happy, positive new future, but it's like actually realizing the true, your true nature, which is yeah. really profound. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it is not like Maslow's stage of self-realization or self-actualization. Uh, it is much more like the Eastern philosophy's idea of transcendence, mm. of enlightenment. And enlightenment, you know, it's not what uh, some people think of acquiring like a new state of mind or, or a heightened uh, state of uh, awareness. High vibration or it's, something like it's that. It's the yeah. contrary. It's understanding that this awareness that you are right now is the absolute reality. Mm. In other words, there's nothing to gain. It's more of a dissuading your your mind from being so attached to the ego and over identification with the persona so that you realize oh i've been the self all along i've mm. been this higher self all along it's simply that i've been identifying on the wrong thing or as the wrong i thing. love that that reminds me of uh, the wizard of oz it's coming on during the holiday season but dorothy you had the power all along we struggle so much and i know from my early life in personal development it's like trying to fix myself so i can get these outer things and and then the evolution of that is holding your mind and mm. your mind can create a reality. That's great. But what if your mind is the reality? Like everything, like it's not separate. And I think that is the key. And it's so hard for us because the ego constantly tells us, you're just this little tiny person. The world is so big. You're not that powerful. Look at your past. Look who you are. And it wants to identify with who you were versus who you're becoming. And individuation is about creating an image of, of some, someone becoming a true personality, someone who is not living from the ego anymore, but living from that deeper truth that I am actually one with everything. When you're there, you don't feel this wanting or yearning. You just kind of have a knowing, and that's really profound. Once you realize it, it's really hard to go back. Like It's like taking that the red pill. You know, It's like you can't go back now. You can't go back. You start to see the matrix, and you see the true nature of things, which actually gives you so much more freedom. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the challenge here, is, of course, is that through the senses, the world appears separate from us, mm -hmm. independent of us. In other words, from my perception, uh, my sense is that if I, if I close my eyes or if I walk out of this room, uh, this room will continue to exist here. And the way I'm seeing it and experiencing it, independent of me. Mm -hmm. And that is an illusion. It's a total illusion that the mind creates and of course, we buy into it. Mm -hmm. We simply buy into it because that's the way it appears. And, and the appearance is so seamless that we, we just assume that must be an absolute reality. Mm -hmm. So the, the Upanishads, which are the, the true explanation of consciousness, has been 
kind of given to us through to humankind through the through the the Vedas and the Upanishads. It simply says you mistake the unreal, meaning the the sensory experience, for the real. You believe that that is an absolute reality. You believe that the appearance of the world, the way it appears to your senses, is real, and that the the real, the your consciousness, your awareness, is unreal. That it's simply like Western psychology, we call it an epiphenomena. Mm. We think. Consciousness must, must just arise out of the epiphenomena of all these neurons in the brain firing. And it's just kind of this thing that appears and, and it's extra, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's unneeded. But in Eastern philosophy, it's the opposite. The foundation of experience of human life is this consciousness that predates human awareness. And then everything arises within human consciousness so this self-realization this this individuation process is leading us towards that the challenges of course and the the obstacles presented uh, on our way to get there are there to to make sure that we get there in the right way well we have to have the duality to see both sides you know for us to have an experience of it so the dark and light, good and bad, pain and, and, and joy, all those things that life comes. We, we need both because that's how the energy works. But we also can, if we could see both sides, we can actually resolve the mm-hmm. conflict between them and then rise above it because you can't just be on one side like a seesaw. Like, I'm just going to stay on the side that's up. I'm never, I don't want to go to the downside. But if you see both sides, you can actually create that equanimity, as they call in, in Buddhism, where you're seeing the dark and the light as the same. And then you can actually create from a higher place versus the ego, which creates from good and bad, right and wrong, pleasant and unpleasant. You're actually evolving to create from another part of your mind. And for most people, they don't ever have that experience. They live in that the duality and create out of just moving away from what's unpleasant without really understanding, well, why is this unpleasant in the first place and questioning? And why is that so good to have that? You know, and you, what, what you want to do is question. And that's what individuation brings. So to tie it up, the three challenges are first, you have to break away from your you know individual culture, mm. the personal unconscious. Deal with how has society, your culture, shaped you? Not by rejecting it, yeah, but by understanding, understanding. it yeah. and having compassion for the people who raised you, because you know what, they were conditioned too. <laughs> they were passing on what their parents shaped them to be, and their parents shaped them to be, and it's just this kind of telephone game until one person in the lineage says oh, you know what, there might be a better way. Uh, so that's the, the first challenge. The second one is ego and the masses is to have a strong ego because you don't want to have a weak ego where you're just kind of a chameleon and you're just going wherever, where the flow of the, the mm. masses are. So you need to kind of have this sense of I, a strong sense of individuality on a conscious level, and then you can you know really start to change your life in that individuation. And then the third is seeing the truth of who you are that what consciousness is what we call self-realization or self-actualization is more that you're not your ego that's real and that you're pure consciousness yeah and it puts uh, the world in the right context that mm-hmm. you you start to understand that there's a powerful relationship between the nature of your mind the nature mm-hmm. of your consciousness 
and the nature of the world. Mm-hmm. But they're true. They're they're actually one thing, not two things. Mm-hmm. It's not the world and you. You, you against the world, right? Yeah. They both give rise to each other. Mm-hmm. That the world creates the uh, the appearance of the individual in the world and the individual gives rise to the appearance of the world. Yeah. Great. Well, I hope you begin your journey of individuation and you could start by just asking yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it something I was taught? Is it am I making this decision like clearly like who taught me how to be this way or what am I assuming about a certain group? or culture that I, you know, feel I disagree with. And where do those ideas come from? And you're really starting to question what you believe and what your values are and, uh, and start to make decisions for yourself. I think that's a really good first step. Absolutely. So we'll see you next week on Soul Sessions. And of course, before we go, I would love for you to subscribe to our channel and not miss a single episode of Soul <laughs> Sessions. Thank you very much and have a great rest of your day. See you next time. Thank you for joining us and don't forget to subscribe to Creative Minds Soul Sessions and join us next week as we explore another deep topic where you can consciously create your life with Creative Mind Soul Sessions. See you next time.